तुम पियो तो ठीक हम पिए तो पाप तुम जियो तो पुन हम जिए तो पाप तुम शरीफ लोग तुम अमीर लोग हम तबाह हम फकीर लोग जिंदगी भी रोग मौत भी अजाब मैंने पी शराब मैंने पी शराब तुमने क्या पिया अरे तुमने क्या पिया आदमी कहू मैंने पी शराब बीटिंग वेलकम to the 6th episode of material analysis so again we have a new panelist so uh, uh, we have comrade bella from last episode but but we also have comrade pinky comrade pinky say hi hi so uh, we have one more voice on the panel of course the uh, usual suspects uh, comrade uh, jasmine dilip and pramod would be around soon Today's episode is called biryani and liquor. What this what this phrase means is that often you would see in Indian politics the poor are bashed and it's insinuated and often not just insinuated but outrightly said that their votes are easy to buy that they are essentially bribed by biryani and liquor. So today's episode is going to be about the phenomena of poor bashing in indian civic society discourse in indian political discourse in indian media discourse of how the poor are misrepresented and essentially demonized and why all of that is wrong and i would like to start this by uh, like i i am not a media person but uh, something i have noticed is that once upon a time it was indeed uh, it was cool to show the poor uh, in sort of valiant or aggressive roles in indian movies mm-hmm. um, amitabh bachchan practically made a career out of portraying what was called the angry young man um, but after a point that disappeared and you don't see modern renditions of something like the coolie or uh, or even that that sort of portrayal of uh, the lumpen proletariat you even even portrayals of underground or gangster characters have sort of become subtly different in which uh, wealth is pretty much front and center um comrades bella and mm. do you think about where has the where has the image of the poor person gone from indian imagination uh, um so one of the things that you know even i grew up in the shadow of a lot of hindi cinema and uh, it was always you know that salim javed phase of films particularly ones that showed um, the angry young man is actually one of my mine and in my family my mother's favorite set of films in fact so i grew up watching these films multiple times um, and one of the things that i was always also very much thinking is this the, the, the angry young man is a working class hero right um, but one of the things that i was you know particularly educated within the ambedkarite movement is to think about what sort of caste location the angry young man comes from and there's an excellent article on roundtable india by kofer who talks about the angry young man actually not being an outcast because through his surname it becomes evident that he's actually in in a lot of these films but particularly deewar i think is the one he talks about um he's vijay verma which is more like a rajput surname in in north india and particularly that moved towards bombay 
so one of the things that i think that ar- the article the argument that the article is really good um and which is very informative for me is to think actually about the angry man as the upper caste middle class man who has sort of been thrust out of that group particularly ah. because of the economic upheaval of the 70s and so the anger is actually a resentment at being clubbed with the working class so i have a feeling one of the reasons those films they they were popular at the time is that they they were in some ways performing the rage of the the working class but by essentially a middle class hero with very middle class sensibilities actually shows that because you know salim salim khan and javed akhtar themselves are not working class so i find that a very useful way to think about it and it actually explains why the the sort of real working class imagination actually in cinema goes back way before it's the v shantaram days you know the black and white um, era of of a raj kapoor film which is very simplistic in some ways but it still was uh interested and invested in trying to it imagine india's poor it didn't imagine that poverty was not real or that people weren't suffering in poverty so i find that era a little bit more interesting and in some ways more sort of rooted in this you know what rural poverty looked like the the bimal roy's do bigha zameen and so on that are a little bit more realist so that is of course the gandhian era right the early nation building phase so there is where i think our unfortunate sympathy with the poor seems to have sort of faded out um and then you know we've come into this sort of the the post 70 era the post 80s post emergency as well you see the you know the bombay mills shut down uh, urban sympathy for the working class just disappears at that point so i feel like a lot of the cinema also reflects that we don't want to see them on the streets we don't want to see them in our films and that's what happens in the 80s and 90s without necessarily claiming to speak for the angry young man period as much i I have seen a little bit of the more contemporary gangster films that you uh, referred to briefly, and one of the things that I was wondering is so, so Gangs of Wasipur, for example, was one that got really popular, right? Perhaps there's a movement from uh, from the earlier movies, which I think is more about the affect, into these movies, which I think is more about the aesthetic. and mm. it's almost as though you now have from a from working class affect and sentiment you move towards something that can be a working class aesthetic something mm. that can actually uh be stylized in certain ways and i think that that's why the image of the gangster is so popular in current cinema mm. because that particularly lends itself to an aesthetic in ways that um a more sort of down to earth version of the working class man or the common man cannot that shift represents something a certain kind of commodification because once you've turned it into an aesthetic it can mm. it can travel a certain way uh with and it can get increasingly divorced from ideology perhaps i think that shift also is accompanied by a certain degree of contempt for markers of poverty like i remember this scene from an otherwise uh, fairly well liked and interesting movie um it's a very reactionary scene from the movie 3 idiots and uh, our audience would be laughing that i you know i'm nitpicking from essentially a comedy but so in in that movie there are three people like you have all seen the movie so one of them comes from a very poor family and essentially all the three guys from the engineering college they have been uh, reprimanded for their shenanigans and they have to visit their parents so they're in the poor guys family right and essentially the whole scene is portrayed in a very mocking manner that ah you have this poor mother and she is crying and this is going to be like those old movies 
ha 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 and that is something i realized that have happened that poverty the whole uh, the whole existence of poverty in indian media has become a prop sometimes a prop to sneer at sometimes a prop to sort of exotify it especially in gangster settings wherein the very new film that one about uh, rap music what's its name gully boy comes to mind and in general there is this reluctance to grapple with poverty which is really weird because that reluctance somehow reflects the fact that the rich in the india imagine themselves as as the middle class right yeah people who consider themselves the middle class people like us people like the yes uh, people who are listening to our podcast our audience and this is something i have uh, talked about with comrade pramod in the in the uh, in the second episode second episode yes okay. comrade chandu and uh, pramod actually you both discussed um, i think what and, and i really enjoyed the discussion because you did talk about the fact that the middle class is actually the top 10% of india's population they're right. not really middle right yeah the middle class of india which sort of sets the tone for this if not the primary consumer of it yes uh, not really the middle class and and that is this contempt of the poor it's also reflected by the fact that another uh, friend of mine actually a public figure and i'm not mm. going to take me because i don't want to talk to them said something yes. interesting a few years back and they said that um, if you look at the names just the names of the main characters they use yes names, Yes, like they used to be fairly ordinary names once upon a time. Like Vijay yes. Chauhan is an extremely ordinary name. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the names which are being used contempor- contempor- contemporarily, that's such yes. weird. Their names you would you imagine caricatures of rich people to give yeah. to them. It's edgy. That's the edgy yeah, is the current. Also, I think it's you know, and I think someone had mentioned. I mean, I follow a lot of anti-caste people. They mentioned this. It's that the old name, the old uh, importance of a character name would really be to mark their caste and class look. Yeah. You knew who the Chauhans were in urban India, right? You would know who the Chopras are. You know what a Desai or a Patel is. Mm. Now it's in some ways this this desire to shed those old feudal markers. Yeah. And so you have weird names like Ishan. Kia, so like, like really castless, not even concocted names. Like they don't actually have a meaning as such. They just sound nice or or modern. Or or often they don't sound nice. Often they are in this uncanny valley where they are wondering <laughs> yes. why these people again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one thing that this makes me think and if I remember correctly part of the article was also talking about how many of them are like these global citizens, right? Where they're moving uh, yeah. back and forth between the US or Europe and India and yeah. uh, and this kind of also reminded me that I encounter a lot of this these days. A lot of people talk about naming their children uh and they yes. keep saying that we need to pick names that would not be difficult for a foreigner to pronounce and it's almost as though uh it's assumed that your child is going to have a future in another country and you know in the so called west yes. um and it's almost like this this sort of global status is taken for granted now by a certain upwardly mobile class with a certain amount of financial security so again what we are seeing is that from the from the very public stage around 80-90% of the country has been quietly swept away. The, the stage belongs to the 10% who Im- imagine themselves as the middle class, who like to call themselves the aspirational middle class, right? Instead of the more traditional noblesse oblige where everybody knew who the powerful people were 
and it was sort of assumed that the powerful people had a certain sort of role of not being too tyrannical now you have a population of elites who have deluded themselves into thinking that not only are they poor and struggling but uh, anybody who is not poor uh, like anybody who is not them and is poor and struggling must be due to some flaw of character and must not be working hard enough etc etc and that is some that is a point i would like to transition into so there is the media portrayal of people which has sort of erased the poor out of the picture aside from essentially being props and then we come to the societal discourse around the poor and how that that has over the years become extremely toxic the way the the real poor are talked about even in these why is this generation of the petty bourgeoisie and the labor aristocracy which grew up sort of benefiting from the welfare state sort of going to government schools etc suddenly wants to privatize everything suddenly thinks that um hire and fire is something to aspire for like go to twitter and look at the conversations about how modi is not quote unquote reforming the economy enough and it's surreal to me like you guys what do you think about just to kind of try and get a sense of the mood that i can sometimes catch around me it's almost as though um those who are not uh those who are not poor those who are in that 10% uh kind of feel like this is where india should be today uh, there there shouldn't be any poor it's almost as though they're embarrassed by the fact that there is so much poverty and it's a weird resentment that they then sort of direct at the working class itself it's almost this idea that uh, we we should be beyond this by now right and it's this desire to sort of rush past everything that's been lacking and almost sort of wish away um wish away poverty uh, they find it hard to you know indulge in their sort of patriotism and chest thumping uh without while sort of looking at the sobering realities around them so that's part of what i sense in some of the erasure a lot of them think that they were that they did come from poverty once like even though they might not exactly use the word poverty but they're tempted to say that they were something very close to what poverty is because some of these people like they can think back to their parents generation and realize that their parents were really broke uh growing up and then they maybe even remember a time when you know when they were in school or whatever they didn't grow up with a lot of privilege and the fact that they made a lot of money very quickly and they accumulated a lot of capital and and uh, status very quickly they sort of want to see that as a very recent development so in some ways there is also this weird thing of uh if we could come out of it uh mm. you know then then what are these people doing by consolidating their ideas as the poor the, the pace at which the middle class has exploded right particularly the lower middle to the middle to the upper middle as in that that sort of upward mobility i think mm. really gives them this illusion that that the the new liberal economy can make everything possible but i also think that particularly uh, about that moment of neoliberalism right uh, people want to mark out 1991 as this key year when uh, indian poverty was finally confronted yeah. by the free market yeah. right what happens two years before that is of course the mandal uh, uh, commission recommendations which are implemented by the vp singh government that mandal actually ends up being very key to understanding why neoliberalism gets justified in the 
imagination of this particular mm-hmm. population right it's the because the people who benefited from subsidized education uh, subsidized public education right. subsidized public health care uh, when they see that that same subsidized public education is now opening up to the quote and quote you know the the quota people the, yeah. the reserved category there's a real resentment now that the public uh, public sector in india is gone to the dogs because these people represent the real sort of you know the the lowest of the low the most unmeritorious as they frame it right and so i think when neoliberalism finally happens when the free market economy is looming uh, when our economy is in in dire straits our foreign exchange reserves dry up uh, for them they are just like already the public sector is dying india is is you know returning as it's a tipping point so i think neoliberalism becomes a solution to the public sector's failure mm. so there's very much i think a sense of the public sector as you know khandan wala zaida among the upper caste and brahmins i think and and that in some ways this that centers into why neoliberalism seems such a you know the, the privatization of everything is just such an obvious solution it's worked for the united states and american media of course is now everywhere telling you that it has worked for them mm-hmm. i think that is that is something we cannot ignore that none yes. of this is happening in isolation yeah no, absolutely the, not, yeah since the ussr ended we yeah. have only one system of global uh, global economy which is unchallenged and you are correct that to a lot of people, the reason india is in such a bad place they would like to chalk that up to what they like they would say that reservation is the reason do away with reservation and we will finally become a developed country now this is a hilariously wrong headed uh, way of thinking because they are not even like that firmly connected like to me if anything reservation is not even a radical thing like it doesn't it's one of the most basic basic communities that democracy sets up right yeah. affirmative action exists in every liberal democracy in the world but to a lot of people it's a thing like if yeah. you go to an engineering college you would know what i'm talking about yeah, yeah of course so uh but yeah that is there is a certain degree of caste contempt which is connected with the poverty contempt uh mm-hmm. we are talking about today um i would also say that uh, what uh, comrade pinky was talking about when she was saying that people just want get this to be over with um, mm. i i remember this anecdote where a friend of mine who is a politician get mm-hmm. on to solicit funds from this businessman in bombay yeah mm-hmm. sitting in a hotel and they were overlooking dharav and mm. this person he essentially was blaming the poor for ruining his yeah yes and we all know what indian politicians are like and believe you me my politician friend was disgusted like this was <laughs> that kind of conversation we disgusted <laughs> a politician no and you can and and dharavi i need to talk about media portrayals of dharavi whether yeah. it is the news or whether it is the film um, this is entire neighborhood that has been criminalized and imagined as this ghetto right um the ways in which the the poor get demonized literally dharavi for a long time i think is the workforce of bombay right whether it is dhobi ghat or this is where work and it has a recycling economy a lot of waste gets repurposed there so in in some ways it's astonishing that the, the fact that this is a suburb that keeps functioning yeah. um is most essential gets demonized for having crime demonized for the supposed filth and what not that you know obviously no municipality or city authorities are investing in there to clean up but nonetheless they are demonized for being in that way i mean ambani's so, house is both a bigger eyesore and a bigger den of crime yeah. than all of that i agree <laughs> completely agree completely 
By the way, before we go forward, uh, some uh, two words for our audience. So, some of our audience is not used to left discourse or critical discourse. So, uh, when we say something is constructed, we don't mean that it's like physically constructed as a brick and mortar building. And also, a lot of the things we are examining, uh, we don't agree with the thing we are examining, right? While we are all progressives, we of course belong to different lines. So, uh, for example, uh, various kinds of uh, leftists in the panel, similarly, people should also read about what exactly Ambedkarite thought is because that was mentioned in this episode. So, okay, on that point, uh, mm-hmm. from Bhara, we want to launch into the political spaghetti and meatball of the <laughs> conversation from which the the top the topic or like the, the headline of today's episode is right biryani the biryani and the whole idea that the biryani oh, yeah. bribed etc et oh so, yes mm-hmm. uh, first of all i think it's an incredible like you know leave aside marxist analysis or ambedkarite analysis or whatever i think it's an incredibly arrogant world we think that most of the citizens of the country, when they vote for something, they don't actually want it and they can be bribed away and etc. Et mm, yeah. But I still think that, you know, we can't just be outrightly dismissive of this week because it's very common. I don't know how much you guys uh, are in like WhatsApp culture and all, but oh God, yes. Mm-hmm. As much as the poor are such a diverse mass, I feel like even the, the propaganda against the poor works at multiple levels. Right. Yeah. So, so when we when we say that the poor are susceptible to to bribes, uh, another sort of thing that I see thrown around on Twitter a lot is you know the rise back converts, for instance, which is often hurled at Christians um, who are believed that their ancestors basically converted for a for a bag of rice. Um, mm. This idea, for instance, that a the poor are unking and so desperate for a few crumbs of food and, and basic necessity um, that they will throw away all of, you know, that they have a, a strong moral fiber that they're compromising on. It does a real disservice to how the poor have to strategize to survive every mm. um, And it says much more about the fact that there is a culture of bribery in India that goes back constantly for you know, for how many ever years. Oh, um, that's so and, true. Yeah, that's very much. And it's and, not just the poor who are bribed either. No, I mean, come on. If you just look at, uh, if you can, one can literally say that, you know, the, the um, Adanis and Ambanis are also... Uh, yeah, we, we have said that. Like, <laughs> the second episode of this podcast pretty much is saying that that the whole idea of corruption, the whole idea of... Exactly. ...turned on its head. It's the rich who are bribed constantly. Mm-hmm the bribing constantly yeah. mm-hmm. they bribe each other yeah and they bribe the state the more important part yes. the state is essentially their advertisement is <laughs> exactly so, uh, and, and look at the funds that we gathered for these elections right yeah. uh, and it's not like the congress is any less any better the, all the you know the big names in congress have very shitty scams attached to their names yeah. so in, in some ways the, the, the fact is that all it seems like everybody is susceptible to a bribe, right? right. So why single out the poor specifically? Right. Um, and of, of course, the point is that in India, the poor are a mass, right? So, and a mass, but not a monolith, right? Which is where exactly. the which is where the trick comes in. 
Right. It doesn't pretty, and if you skew the numbers a little bit, for instance, change slightly what the uh, the minimum wage per day is, right? The the ex- your definition of extreme poverty if it shifts even slightly, yeah. Uh, uh, millions of people suddenly move from one. Yeah, the to sheer another. numerical, yeah, exactly complexity. So in, in that sense, we're all susceptible to bribes, and the poor are too. I mean, to imagine also that the poor are this vast brainless mass that can just be herded into voting booths and just being given, you know. These handouts, quote unquote handouts. It's a very anti-democratic way of thinking to say that. It's anti-democratic. It's also anti-humanist, right? Yeah. Because if you if you value the idea that every individual has a thinking, functioning brain and is able to decide for themselves what the best choice available for them is, whatever, however much you might disagree with it, that the fact is that people are constantly weighing and evaluating through their own circumstances. So it completely negates that little bit of agency that they do have. In particular, also told this, right? I mean, in Tamil Nadu, for instance, uh, the accusation was that Amma was bribing basically to vote. Like yeah. women were in the thrall of Jayalalitha, and and she just lost their minds. And you know, uh, when uh, she was giving out free rice, she was giving out free laptops, and women in particular were very uh, enamored by the fact that she was a female. And so it was a very weird identity politics argument, saying that all women were voting for Jayalalitha. And I was just like, I don't think all women in India have ever voted on, or even in the state have ever voted on mass for one leader. So no, it's completely, yeah, completely useless and very sort of casteist, classist argument made about. How the poor think, behave, uh, and act. This is again not random in the global context. Like there is capitalist ideology in here. That of course. Would like the welfare state to be completely straight. Yes. Right. So yeah. you you have the fact that so when we are saying that the rich regularly bribe the state and are in return provided with largesse. Yes. That how capitalism operates. Which yes. It essentially becomes the. A business manager of the capitalist. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I've been troubled by as well. And I think one phrase that Comrade Bela used, which was striking for me, is uh, saying what. So I think you said whatever limited agency they have, right? And I think that yeah. idea of limited agency has to be taken seriously and and seen for what it is. Like with both agency and the limitations on that agency both being taken very seriously in their own right. Yeah. The angle in which. You know, from which they are being perceived often changes, and that the same people who've often thrown the whole "oh, they're uneducated, they're ignorant, they don't know what's good for them" thing at me, have also then once uh, things happen, like when the BJP wins, and and that's uh, that's a result that's to their liking, uh, then yeah. they they're very happy to call it a democratic mandate, and then they look at us and they're like, "You leftists are the real elitists because you don't want to accept this democratic mandate, right?" So they can yeah. very conveniently switch their position. On how they choose to frame this monolith of of the poor that they've come up with, so it also makes me wonder, like as as leftists, when we talk about the masses, you know, we have to be we have to be sort of smart and and sort of have a certain um and not be sort of not determine our own narratives to the extent that we kind of then fall prey to our own narratives because if we get too uh, glib in in talking about mass consciousness or what the masses stand yeah. for. Yes, as in we have to remember that ultimately, uh, Marxism essentially says that you have to analyze what the reality of the world you live in is. So we need to sort of uh, hate to use the word. Here, because it's not used in the way it's used in contemporary times, but you have to very scientifically find out 
what is it that the people do and why they do it i'm sorry i know that the word scientific doesn't have the same but i know what you mean because you're saying that we need to be specific about the reasons right because if you just have these catch all terms like education ignorant um you know desperate needy or bribable or whatever they just become so vague the left wing version of the same thing that the capitalists do mm. where it's a caricature of human beings like Hence, I guess the name of our podcast, Material Analysis. Yeah, and then we can't in we can't like attribute easy agency either, right? Like we can't also yeah. sort of be too, uh, fa- you know, we can't like just have wish fulfillment when we want to attribute agency as well without choosing to recognize and, and the ways. And it's not as if Marxists are not, uh, you know, guilty of this. Like when they have had some power, like I remember in the old USSR times, uh, whenever you know the working classes of a country would do things mm. according to how. Like we would want to like ah they have class consciousness yeah do things down yes ah they have false consciousness <laughs> yeah yes another another kind of caricature which for me is equally becoming dangerous is the Arundhati si Roy esque kind of romanticization <laughs> oh, right oh. Mm-hmm. this idea that poverty has ennobled them and they are of a new ethical consciousness mm. that that is above all of us you know beyond mm. any of our understanding a, thankfully it's not or at least should not be a Sort dominant of a Marxist view. virtue. No, it's it not. Is, she's not a Marxist. But, yeah, but it's been yeah. dangerously popular in the left of India. Yeah, like whatever calls is. itself the left. Yes, yes. This, but I think there is a lot of Gandhism or crypto Gandhism. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, there is this whole of worship course. of austerity. Yeah. Austerity. Okay. I mean, if you remember the farmers' march, there was those horrible images of their, you know, their cracked and teeth that suddenly becomes circul that suddenly circulates in social media as this look at what the farmers of our nation are enduring kind of you know. And it's like it sucks that it has to come to this. Can we at least all come on the same page and say that it's it's first of all don't romanticize their 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 and, and the fact that demonstrations are about getting political power. We are yes. not sentimentalists. Neither should we become. Because no. sentimentalism, like Baldwin has said, sentimentalism is the vehicle of cruelty. Like mm-hmm. yes, the way out, right? You shed exactly. a few tears when you go home and feel sorry for people. You don't do anything or change yes. anything. Yes. Don't politically act. Emotional politics of poverty. Emotional like. and very much polemical discourse as well. Um, that that tends to be sort of very sweeping, make very sweeping arguments about all sides of the debate. Even say arguments right now about elites or liberals, you know, from both sides are exhausting. There's the Khan market liberals or yeah. the Lumens Delhi or whatever it is. On a, on, of, a, on a complete aside on that note, I read this very particularly for our audience that right. there is no such thing as left hyphen liberals. So like people <laughs> like Jayakar Gupta really like that phrase. Enough people, there is no such thing. <laughs> yes. Also, so no man. Also, 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 like, of course, within the left, of course, everybody keeps calling each other liberals as a slur. So that right, there's that too. That's also a problem. Like, you're not. But just to come to your point, just to come to your point about the and the facts and the logic. One of the things that I admire about other democracies, and I'm looking particularly at the U.S. because this data really circulated after the election, which is a, a sort of data that is, um, you know, classified by race, that is classified by income, classified by gender. So you got oh, a real they sense. They definitely of, are not shy of delving to the real. Exactly. Like, 
Right. Really harsh questions. Well, the problem in India, though, we don't even have a caste census, so we actually can't even even know yeah. what the numbers of specific mm. caste groups are. And then there are these weird opinions right now in the news that openly say, "Oh, you know, the non-Jatav Dalits voted yeah. for this party." And then no, it's all speculation. The data came from, and they are like, yeah. "Yeah, we don't know. There is nothing written in this." Right. Yeah. So there is nothing. Bye. There is. There are no numbers. There are. There are. Uh, there are all speculations. Some of them are well-founded, probably. Yeah. But until we know. How do we prescribe why a Mahabharat Gathbandhan has has been doomed to fail? How do we prescribe how the left has collapsed without knowing the numbers of what's been going on with leftists, right? Yeah. Um, and th- these are questions that I think I I keep asking and never finding a solution to yeah. because the numbers are just not there. Yeah. So I feel like the data collection mechanism or the data collection apparatus that exists for the Indian state is also defunct, and of course that is a function of fascism, right? Uh, you don't have the data, you there can't. There is a political. There is a whole political reason for that not being there. That without the data, the 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 poor the poor are caricatured as ah. easily manipulated by either party. Yeah. Right? So and part of what we have to fight the battle of is not just reason, but also saying, well, show us the data. And every time someone wants to caricature or pillory the the working class or workers uh, and poor people particularly, you you have to say, well, we don't have the data for this. So until and unless we know. You know what each caste group votes for, what their population is, what their income status is. We can't say simply that oh, you know the OBCs have all gone and voted for BJP this time. Yeah. They've all become Hindu or whatever and, and, and the word is. And the question is that even if they have, what was the reason? Yeah, what Because next, right? Because what, what if we don't like what the data shows us, but we still have to find ethical ways of parsing that data? And yeah. and the conversation that you just had. So there are a couple of things that it made me think of. One, of course, is that the you know the scientific versus the sentimental. And I would perhaps make a distinction between the the sentimental and then the emotional or like feelings or yeah. whatever. Only yeah, because yeah, yeah, because I feel like the emotional experience is part of one's material experience too. Like the experience of suffering is not sort. of divorced from the material conditions of deprivation all that but i think the problem with sentimentality is that it's 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 like it's chasing a sort of chimera right like it's yeah. this idea that we can it, it it's such a vacuum in which we can impose like there's like golden age nostalgia it gives all the power to the people who control the means of communication that's the yeah. part about sentimentalism that yes it is the void of uh, being rooted in the masses it gives this extraordinary amount of power to people who who do well the politics of aesthetic and well the far right has always been very good at it so yeah so there's definitely yeah this whole and it it becomes it's like self perpetuating rhetoric right like sentimentality does not need to refer to anything outside of itself it just keeps sort of working within its own field and the other thing i was thinking of is like this whole idea of okay so how do we frame how do we frame the working class right like how do we talk about them part of the mm. problem that i'm thinking of is that we only try and think of them as a group only sort of when it's time to think of them as voting blocks but the person sort of constantly speculating how to how to frame them and the only pe- and the only ways in which we find ourselves being able to do so is literally by counting votes and then retroactively speculating backwards to wonder what drove them to those votes yeah. in the first we have we have dug ourselves into the sort of trap of electoralism politics of the left in india have become so much around elections that it has completely forgotten the aspect of dual power the whole idea that the left has to build structures which allow a different sort of reality to come through from its praxis and that is something 
I think the audience of our podcast should really think about that this is not the only way of doing politics, the game as it has been. And part of the reason also we are talking about how the poor are represented is because none of us is really poor. Yeah. And yeah. I think for me, one question I have to ask is the left is not equal to the poor. Right. Um, and so the left is often representing the poor. And where can we move towards a point where the left and the poor are a little bit more synonymous? Uh, and, and there are very many working class lower caste Dalit, um, you know, communist and, and, and left-leaning activists. Because the very yes. poor, the, the very marginalized, they don't have the bandwidth to fight this battle. And of course, the very elite doesn't have the class interest to fight this battle. Yes. Right? yes. But it's that, it's that assistional class, I think that is where the key lies. I mean, that's what Marx also says in the 18th yeah. Romare. He believes the lump of proletariat and the petty bourgeoisie are the ones who really need to be radicalized yeah. and on the side of the proletariat. This could just be me self-aggrandizing as, as a member of the petty bourgeoisie. But, but they're, they're, the fire and the brimstone is like, yes. they won't change. And it was anger for that change that led to Modi, that led to the Anami party, yeah. that before this led to the Navnirman Andolan, that led to the anti-mandal protest. That yeah. Of course. And I think that, the, again, the problem is that, like, so much of what we speculate is always based on sort of elections and voting and results. But, like, in the meantime, a lot of what we tend to hear, like, what circulates in terms of, like, what the supposedly want and what they stand for and stuff like that is so anecdotal, right? Like, for example, every now and then I'll see somebody, like, this literally happened on Twitter, like, some weeks ago where somebody, like, uploads a photo of their auto driver or of some oh, random God, person that they... Yeah, and then they're like, I had a conversation with this person and they told me this and they really feel like like these stray conversations they have with these people, like they, they really hype them up to a point where they see it as like suddenly revealing this like great truth about the inner life of the working class that they suddenly had access to and they and they keep talking about it as, you know, this is how one gets their finger on the pulse of India and stuff like that, right? And we're constantly extrapolating from these sort of individual chance encounters we have, which I'm not saying are not important. I think talking yeah, to people is super important. Because in one of the previous episodes, I remember this one comment which was like, you guys are insipid, you never like reach the conclusion and what. <laughs> and I think that is an important point. No, of course. So, uh, <laughs> Working to towards the talk conclusion. About what, what the takeaway for our audience. So I think one important takeaway is that instead of worrying so much about what the poor does and what they're thinking and thinking of them essentially as a exactly. mass or whatever, yeah. do politics within the people you know. Yeah. Like seriously. Instead of yes. pontificating about the country or whatever, yeah, right. do very localized politics. Like you have issues and you will have issues because of capitalism and automation. You will yes. lose your jobs and things like that. Work on it. Form yes. study circles and educate your peers politically. And oh yes, and I I, I will never stop mentioning the two words facts and logic. Because one of the problems is, of course, that, uh, you know, everything gets dismissed as fake news. So yes. the, the, be aware also of how to counter the accusation that the facts and logics and data that you have yeah. is not fake news. And so to be able to consistently back your arguments, uh, back any things you make and continue pushing forth the same argument. from. So there. one thing uh, that I've noticed is that... One thing I've found that has been useful for at least like people in my family that I'm close to have been like when people have actually sort of run into 
uh, activist and protest culture they've been moved by that in a way that i've noticed that it's like fundamentally altered some of their ways so um so you know again one relative of my <laughs> of my family who will go unnamed or unidentified um they were pretty queer phobic and yeah. uh when they encountered like some of some trans activists and as part of their sort of ngo work and you know their ngo work as you know is not radical but they sort of just sometimes these weird intersections happen in india right and so when they encountered some of these trans activists they were sort of moved in a way that it really like completely changed their their perspective on this like right now they really see themselves as an ally and there's much to learn that they have but they really like they're invested in that liberation project now and so i do think that sort of bumping into these like seeing people that it means something to like seeing that zeal seeing that struggle i do think can do something but my fear is that when they run into working class hindutva people they also see a certain kind of zeal and they also see some of these desires and anxieties expressed through very sort of personal economic terms and then they're also they want to give those anxieties credibility okay, so this is the thing you just mentioned and a thing which comrade will had mentioned earlier i would like to like answer that yeah and this is not from an ambedkarite perspective this is from a marxist perspective <laughs> so there might be a bit of yeah <laughs> so Marx does this really well when he said the point is to create a world without class. It's not just the reversal of the right. class order. Right. So what that means that just because somebody is working class doesn't mean that they are right and you yeah. are not just because you are bougie. Yeah. So yeah. remember that. So just because somebody is a fascist is like fascists are usually working class people like or petty bourgeois people. Yeah. Like, if you have read trotsky's what is fascism and you should by the way <laughs> yes remember, noted trotsky's uh, what is fascism and how to interesting analysis of the then fascist movement but the point is that don't fetishize um, the working classes either absolutely but yeah, i think what's what's scary is to imagine that the 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 transformative power of activist community like what scares me is imagining that people might think that they're encountering some of that power and drive in basically sanghi or you know or organizing communities like if they think what they're encountering there is real remember fascism at the end of the day is also a mass movement yeah it's wrong but it's a mass movement yeah. it's a popular movement it's yeah. not a conspiracy or it's not a clique or none of that right so yes but what i'll also add to what comrade being said is that we encounter people and we're moved by by uh, by their life stories by their stories of oppression and suffering and so on but we can encounter people and then also encounter ideology and i think that yeah. able to find people who advocate for ideology that feels that it's about equality and justice yeah to me becomes very important to parse out so yeah. it's not that you know people on the right don't have moving stories of course they do. Yeah. i mean i was in banaras a month ago and it was full of people who who had story after story that were there was very moving about you know living in banaras right, in right. pradesh and so on and of course this this very sort of you know they're very charming and they're they're actually nice yeah. this is the problem it right is. it's that when you encounter the nice fascist you feel like there's some sort of oh you know we can actually dialogue with them right. and that's not it because the ideology they stand for is 
not one that you can actually dialogue with. And so being able to then recognize whatever the caste class was, that their ideological yeah. things are, are truly seriously wrong. But do you not um, think that they're appropriating, do you not think that they're appropriating a rhetoric of emancipation? No, 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 I don't think that. Okay. There is genuine, there is genuine rhetoric. Like this is something I think we have to be clear about that it's just because somebody is fascist doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they are... What they're doing is what? Insincere. Insincere. Oh, right. Of course. Oh, so you're saying it's not appropriating. Like it's a genuine investment. Right. So what I I mean is that do they not use the language of justice? Well, of course they do, but we need to be able to recognize what... It, see, just because it looks like justice and talks like this seems like justice... Is justice exactly, but you and I know yeah. that. We have to sort of let go of that idea that, you know, like there's a gotcha there, like somewhere down the line, it's all... They're, they're logic them up, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is what happens when you debate Sanghis or, you know, Nazis yeah. or whatever it is. It's that you get in the hope that you can call out their flawed logic, but the fact is they're heavily invested in it. And yeah, it, yeah they keep defending yeah, and I, I disagree with Arendt in calling it the banality of evil. It's not really banal. It's actually mm. it's not neutralized. It's common sense, right? And so the problem is mm. being able to to be to be sophist. No, I want to say sophisticated, but what I mean is being sufficiently advanced in your thinking to recognize that somebody is, you know, that whatever they could be the poorest person on earth, could be a Dalit, could be a woman, could be a completely marginalized, and be wrong. Yeah. And you may be the of course, yeah, Dalit, Bougie, whatever. But you may be right. Like you have to ultimately it comes down to ideology and you have to understand that the person who is advancing a supremacist ideology, they, there are times when such people are cynical and appropriating social justice discourse and all that stuff. Yes. But there are often times when yeah. they are zealots and they are sincere yeah. and you have to agree that they are your enemy and yes. to fight them. Of course, the ideology that they advocate for me is very key. So, at the moment I recognize that there is an underlying of justice and equality that drives it, yeah. then I'm in sympathy and I can have some dialogue. This is why I think the Ambedkarites, Marxists, feminists, we all need to be in dialogue liberal. with each other. Well, liberal. I'm not like one of those Marxists who are like, those are all Jewish or whatever. <laughs> or that their ideology like, is all false consciousness or whatever it yeah. is. Oh, comrade Jasmine disagree. I remember Oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean... Like, <laughs> but no okay let's end it we have like we have been like having too much fun but the point is that people who are in the audience yes. are, like seriously don't fetishize poverty don't broad brush stroke poverty and be a bit critical when you are thinking about yes. it don't bash poor people don't do that no, and of course, part of the whole process, you know, making sure that we, we are organizing collective yeah. is knowledge building and consciousness, right? So I think yeah. that work is always going to be a process. We are not going to each other and recognize each other as perfect comrades yeah. and we are all in the same fight. We have to work towards that. So I think that the two are inseparable from right. and one thing towards building knowledge yeah. and working towards, you know, building solidarity. Right, yeah. and one thing I will say is that sometimes, and I'll admit this, like sometimes I get confused when I get sort of... certain kinds of conservative reasoning thrown at me like I know that I'm supposed to identify it as wrong and I know that it's not where I stand and what I keep coming back to to sort of reorient myself and remind myself like why I lean more towards the left than the other way is ultimately because like right-wing rhetoric and right-wing sort of ideals 
no matter what place of sincerity and concern they come from ultimately rationalizes a logic of certain communities being disposable and yes. also it rationalizes a logic of hierarchy where certain where certain groups are always meant to be at the top right yes, yes, and for whatever yes. it's worth i yes, have rejected that and yeah, yeah, that has to be the basis of it. Then, yes right so, and they are okay with the idea of collateral damage <laughs> at the end of the day you have to do what you think is right exactly yes. regardless of what it was excellent having two new panel members i uh, will be seeing way more of comrade bella and comrade pinky around uh, hopefully hopefully uh, hope that the uh, audience had fun and uh, had some takeaways from today's episode please um, like us follow us on soundcloud right. and twitter we have more exciting conversations we hope to have because we are also suggest topics you want us to talk oh yeah absolutely like, yeah. we'd love to hear like, more more recommendations like get all kinds of feedback and if you want call outs etc <laughs> good night thank you for listening to us have a week ahead bye bye